Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Fantasy Magazine. Welcome to the Fantasy Magazine Story Podcast. Here at Fantasy, we're excited to publish this special issue, People of Color Destroy Fantasy. Our guest editor and original fiction editor for this special issue is Daniel Jose Older. Our reprints were selected by Amal El Motar. Our nonfiction was curated by Tobias S. Bakel, and your guest host is myself, the effervescent Terence Taylor. People of Color Destroy Fantasy contains eight fantasy stories, four original, never-before-published pieces alongside four fantasy classics. There is also an array of nonfiction features, as well as interviews with several of the authors. This podcast will bring you two of our fiction selections this month, but if you want to get the whole issue, the ebook is available for just $2.99, the trade paperback edition is available for $12.99. It is an honor and a delight to bring Fantasy Magazine to you in this special celebration of creators of color writing and editing short fantasy. If you enjoy these podcasts and would like to learn more about the Destroy projects, including where you can purchase the whole issue in ebook or trade paperback format, please visit destroysf.com. This story is about a band of friends who find a way to combine modern rock with ancient dance moves to, well, you'll have to listen to find out. I like the idea of a roaming rock band with their roots in traditional ritual. Music is magical. Growing up in the pre-Vatican II Catholic Church, the combination of organ, song, and incense during Mass put me into a meditative transcendent state not far from the effect of repeated drum rhythms and chanting in Native American religions, in voodoo, or Baptist revival meetings, Practitioners all filled with the spirit of the god they worship, no matter their color or creed. New Age Rock did the same for me in the 80s East Village club scene I was drawn to at the time, as I danced myself into a trance, pounded by repetitive rhythms, the air filled with intoxicating smoke of a different kind. On that note, as music and memories of your own rise in your head, our story this week is Black Their Regalia by Darcy Little Badger, and is performed by Roxanne Coyne Hernandez. Black, their regalia. Darcy Little Badger. Outside, the quarantine train was unblemished white. Where its tracks skirted populated regions, barbed wire and warning signs, danger, peligro, infectious materials, sustancias infecciosas, discouraged trespassers from marking the cars with spray paint. The interior was another story. In her cabin, a narrow sleeper with four beds, one for screaming Moraine, one for fiddler Christie, one for drummer Tully, and one for their carry-on luggage, several densely packed grocery bags and an electric violin, Tully found graffiti scrawled near her upper bunk. Amber Smythe was here. I love John Wynne. Callie plus Brett plus Austin Clark. August 17 to 18. For a good time, call the CDC. God help us. 
Thule fished a leather-piercing needle from her sewing kit. With marks like spider silk, she etched. The apparently siblings rode the white train. Thule, Moraine, and Christy were only siblings in the spiritual way. Their band name was a response to all the strangers who asked, Are you triplets? When she felt thorny, so almost always, Christy responded, Because natives look alike? No. Well, we might have the same great uncle. He got a reputation. Hey, Thule, are you defacing the train? Moraine shouted, as if she couldn't hear him across three feet of recirculated air. Don't write our names. I'd rather not pay a fine. Uh-oh. I wrote our band name already. Don't worry, Christy said. There's no chance anybody will recognize it. So the apparently Sibs weren't remotely famous, but they'd been off to a promising start before the plague spread. On average, they played four paid shows a month and had 60 followers on Twitter, 63 if you counted their mothers. With enough time, they could have serenaded the right person, signed a contract, and toured the world. Or, at the very least, toured states outside Texas. Now their onstage corpse paint seemed like a premonition. What little humankind knew about the big plague pointed to a grim, albeit sluggish, prognosis. The poor souls who carried the strain had a year, more or less. Could be enough time to find a cure. Maybe even enough time to mobilize the largest treatment plan in human history. Unfortunately, some people crashed fast, their nervous systems torn apart. A rap on the door announced breakfast, oatmeal and tea. The twenty-something freckled nurse John, is he the John of wall graffiti fame, Tully wondered, prepared the food with automaton efficiency and took their temperatures, 99, 98, 101.9. Christy was running a vigorous fever already. Can we do anything to slow her symptoms? Tully asked. Like all white-trained nurses, John was a carrier, immune to the virus, but contagious. Lucky. A hazmat suit would obscure the sympathetic crinkles around his eyes. Possibly, he said. The doctors at Mariposa Compound will do everything they can. John dropped the disposable thermometer tips down a biohazard chute near the door. He hesitated in the exit, gazing beyond Thule's head as if distracted by a memory. Goodbye, then, he said. Call if you need anything. During breakfast, Thule and Moraine hovered over Christy, prepared to steady trembling hands as she drank lukewarm black tea. Full-body shakes were a late-stage plague symptom, but they begin with subtle tremors, and Christy shivered when she choked down the dregs in her cup. It's just chilly, Moraine said, wrapping a black Pendleton blanket around Christy's shoulders. We need sunlight. Open the curtains. Good idea. Tully obliged, revealing the yellow desert. There were mountains in the distance and barrel cacti in the foreground. Nearby, a bird's tattered, desiccated corpse hung from a coil of barbed wire. 
You should both have a nap, she suggested. Terrible scenery. The apparently siblings first met during the Maria de Soto University powwow and cakewalk for charity. As poor college freshmen, they were enticed by the $100 Best Student Intertribal Dancer Prize, not community togetherness or actual dancing. Pinky swear. Thule had to scour the boxes in her dorm room to find her neglected dancing regalia. Turkey feather fan, knee-high doeskin boots, and 30-pound jingle dress. It had been years since her last powwow, and the dress clutched her hips and arms uncomfortably tight. Do it for money, she thought, and maybe you'll win a free cake, too. German chocolate would taste so good right now. That year, the MDSUPWCWC, normally held on the soccer field, was moved to the indoor gymnasium in defiance of sparking mountainous clouds overhead. The drum group sat in the center circle of the basketball court. They were surrounding by the dancing ring and crowded benches for participants. Thule noticed Moraine on the bench next to hers. Under the vibrant red fringe and sunset-colored beadwork that covered his grass dancer regalia, he resembled somebody in her music composition class, the kid who always answered Dr. Brumford's rhetorical questions. Are you a music student at DeSoto? she asked. Yeah. He lowered his Navajo taco to shake her hand. I'm Moraine, like the glacial deposit. That's a well-crafted jingle dress. Thanks. My mom made it. Blue suits you. Maybe, but I wanted black and orange, Halloween colors. Mom hates the holiday. Mine does too. She thinks focusing on death and gloomy junk attracts evil. My mom says I have ghost sickness. What? A mental shroud, a preoccupation with death a fearful obsession that manifests as physical illness and psychic anguish. So basically, I'm haunted because my favorite movie is Ringu. Moraine laughed. What if it's real, though? Thule asked. You believe in the supernatural? Thule shrugged. I'm skeptical, but moms have been right before. Let's test it. My throat hurts and you're wearing a jingle dress. Okay. Jingle dancing is supposed to heal people, right? Maybe. It healed at least one person, like 150 years ago, reputedly. An Ojibwe girl, I think. Dunno, man. Jingle dresses, draped with hollow silver cones, clang with every leap. Thule loved their rhythm, that's all. She knew zilch about the origin of the dance, its significance. Not like they taught that in public school. Try to heal me, Moraine insisted. I want to believe. A young woman, fancy shawl dancer, her regalia cluttered with shades of yellow and pink, stepped between Thule and Moraine. First, she said, ghosts are real. They look like shadows and your jingle dress test doesn't prove anything. Actually, it's borderline offensive, 
so don't let respectable people hear you. Second, I think you're both in my music composition class. Hey, I'm... Christy, Moraine said. Yeah, I know. Great to officially meet you. They spent the powwow arguing about ghosts. Moraine insisted that the shadowy figures Christy saw at night were symptoms of sleep paralysis. Christy thought he was just scared of the unfathomable truth. And Tuli remained noncommittal. However, they didn't annoy each other too much, so friendship inevitably blossomed. None of them won the competition. That prize went to a hoop dancer math major. Five years later, Tuli truly loved her buddies. She couldn't envision better people to live with, to die with. Hopefully the death part would take its sweet time. The white train's mechanical heartbeat, a low whir that sounded nothing like the chug-chug-chug in movies, was punctuated by Tuli's fingers drumming on the windowsill and her steel-toed boots tapping the vinyl floor. They were nearing the Mojave Desert, where several compounds, including Mariposa, treated high-threat contagious citizens away from the lucky uninfected. Christie's reflection appeared in the glass, her wide eyes transposed over the cloudless sky. The Pendleton fell in a heap at her feet. Sorry, hun, Tuli said, turning. Did my drumming disturb you? My dream... Christy pointed to a silhouette that cut the white-blue sky with long, sharp wings. She was in my dream. That's just a turkey vulture. Strange. I didn't know they lived here. Don't quote me on that before I Google it, though. Go back to... She sent them. They're her children, vultures. Eating. Eating sick, old meat to help make the world clean. What? Whose children? The plague eater. With a sleepwalker's drowsy gait, Christy stumbled back to bed, pulling the cotton sheet up to her chin and murmuring something about dancing. Tuli tucked the Pendleton over her friend. What? Moraine asked, waking. Did Christy have a nightmare? Must be exciting. I'd love to experience her brain for just one REM cycle. Nightmares aren't pleasant, last I checked. Better than the tedious junk I experience. This time I dreamed of notes in the major key. You're a true musician, Moraine. Guess I'll try again. He pulled the sheets up to his chin. Hey. Yeah? Keep an eye on her, okay? I promise. Once her friends drifted off to sleep, Tuli sat on the end of Christie's bunk and held her hand. The muscles in her long fingers, a violinist's fingers, spidery and dexterous, tensed, relaxed, and tensed. Her livelihood, if not her life, was rapidly expiring. Where were the powers their mothers swore by? The great forces that heal faithful children and make bodies strong. I'll do anything, Tuli whispered. You just need to ask. 
In the silence that followed, she chuckled. The apparently siblings reveled in Gallo's humor. It was much nicer than weeping. Later, as the train chugged through Mariposa compound, it passed rows of white barracks with slatted pitch roofs. Laundry lines, sun-bleached plastic toys, and potted plants cluttered the residential grounds. The train stopped between sprawling, nearly identical facilities. To the right, a hospital. To the left, a community center. Beyond them were convenience shops, the kindergarten to 12th grade school, a computer lab, a library, and a cafeteria. Thule had memorized her compound map during the trip, knew where every facility was located, where she and her siblings would live, where they would be treated, where they could eat, rehearse, and hang out, where they would be memorialized if the plague consumed them. Nurse John helped load their bags on a trolley. I have to ask something, he said. Are you three related? Because we look alike? Christy asked. Excuse me, miss. I don't meet many goths. You're my new favorite person, John, Tuli said. Our style is closer to neoclassical alt-metal fusion than goth. That's why I asked, John said. They house men and women separately in Mariposa Compound, unless you're family or dating. Moraine shook his head. I see, he said. We have the same great uncle. Will that do? I can't convincingly pretend to date a woman. Hopefully. Good luck, you three. John escorted them outside stealing a breath of fresh air before ducking back into the white train. Thanks to their apocryphal great-uncle, the apparently siblings shared a bedroom that was originally designed for one patient. Imperceptibly tinier than their efficiency apartment in McAllen, the close quarters did not bother Thule. At least they had a window. Granted, it overlooked a blank white wall, one of the neighboring barracks. The internet broke again, said Christy, prodding her laptop. She'd been bedridden for three days, shivering under her covers and racing to finish her memoirs before the illness made typing impossible. I'm supposed to call my parents in 20 minutes. There's a landline in the common area, Moraine said. I want to see them. Thule peered out the window, her back to the other siblings. During sunset, the blank wall resembled a cool flame, vivid orange, blushing darker, slipping into shadow. How's your family doing? she asked. Still healthy, but worry will kill them before any virus at this rate, Christy said. Orange became rust, red, black. Thule wrapped a shrill toy drum she borrowed from the K-12 music room. Pacing, Moraine hummed the tune he dreamed on the white train. Christy finished her memoirs with a discontented sigh. At nightfall, they all climbed into bed. Breakfast ended at nine sharp, and the meal lines got longer every day. 
What's the opposite of a vampire? Moraine asked. Because I feel like one. It's unnatural, this early-to-bed schedule. Thule pretended to be asleep. If she responded, Moraine would chatter well into late night, early morning. The last time that happened, they overslept and missed both breakfast and lunch. She could hear Christy shifting, shuddering, contorting under the Pendleton blanket with whispering shif, shif, shifts. Plague-triggered muscle spasms. Most people called them slow death throes. It was like a dance, a terrible dance. In the hypnagogic realm between awake and asleep, where dreams poisoned reality, a shadow stood proudly against the wall. It possessed eyes, unblinking, round, yellow eyes, with pupils that swallowed Thule's soul, two points of space-time singularity from which nothing could escape. Drumbeats rang. Rap, rap, rap. And the shadow began to spin. It revolved clockwise around the walls, and when the circle was completed, a final thunderous rap rang out, punctuated by the sound of breaking glass. Thule leapt to her feet. The window near her bed had cracked. Cautiously, she peeked outside. Whoa! A wake of turkey vultures stumbled drunkenly below the window, stunned by their impacts against the glass. One by one, they alighted, until all that remained were three tail feathers piled in the dust. Huh, Moraine said, patting his pillow-ruffled punk pompadour. I just had the worst case of sleep paralysis. Christy, wrapped in black wool, said, It was a dancing ghost, unless you believe in shared hallucinations. What about shared visions? Thule asked. Guys, this may be our jingle dance moment. I think we've been chosen. By whom? Moraine said. No idea. Hold your imperious retort while I grab those feathers. As Thule entered the alley, she heard a radio muttering through a neighbor's cracked window. The static-thickened voice said, I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death. Thule was not religious but as a fan of horror movies and the novel Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett, she knew all about the four horsepeople of the apocalypse, color and noun-themed riders who emerged during the end times. The moon was full and high, its light spilling into the alley between barracks. When the radio preacher concluded, to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Thule pressed the turkey vulture feathers over her eyes, blocking the obnoxious white globe. They were so dark, Thule wondered if their veins devoured more light than the blackest material on earth, a forest of carbon nanotubes constructed by Japanese scientists, her personal STEM heroes. Not today, Apocalypse, she said. Inside, Moraine and Christy were fussing. Nostalgia washed over Thule. 
she thought about the day they met, how little things changed, even when everything changed. The virus causes hallucinations when it damages the temporal lobe, Moraine said. Shadows are common. We all saw a woman spinning around our bedroom as turkey vultures smacked rhythmically into the window. Okay, sure. What makes you believe she was teaching us a special dance? Powerful dances come from visions. That's what my mother taught me. That's what her mother taught her. That's how I know what I know. Don't take this the wrong way. If your ancestors knew powerful dancers, why aren't we ruling the world right now? We're holding our own, Tuli interrupted. And dying, he said. The whole world is dying. Seems like the perfect time for higher powers to reawake. You're a singer. I'm a drummer. Christy is a dancer, until her hands work again. We're going to respect the vision that danced across our wall tonight. What's the worst that could happen? Nothing, he said. Nothing would be the very worst, Christy agreed. Right, nothing. Moraine, I'm scared of nothing right now. He bit his lip contemplative. All right. Let's get started, ladies. Christy needs regalia. What was the vision dancer wearing? A dress, Christy said. And a shawl? It's hard to tell. The whole thing was a shadow. A shadow? They needed black fabric. Lots of it. The first flyer the apparently siblings pinned to the community message board was short and informative. Black fabric needed for a dance ceremony. Ho ye! Please consider donating used clothes, thread, buttons, etc. A collection box is outside our door, barrack 19, room 3. FYI, you won't need morning suits once we destroy the virus with sick but not actually sick, rhythm and motion. Smiley face. Cheers. Tuli plus Moraine plus Christy of apparently siblings fame. The flyer only attracted one donation, a pair of black wool socks. Somebody also offered to DJ their plague prom. Undeterred, they tried again. Black fabric needed. Ho ye! We are Apache Navajo. Ceremonial dances have social and religious power in our communities. For example, we dance to honor veterans, win cakes, and appeal to grand forces. It's a fact. Please help us perform a dance for community wellness. Leave used black clothing outside Barrack 19, Room 3. Thank you, bless you, and thank you again. Tuli plus Moraine plus Christy. In came donations of lace-trimmed dresses, conservative blouses, and skirts. Outfits made from silk, cotton, polyester, and rayon blends that were dyed every conceivable shade of black. First, 
Thule and Moraine crafted the dress with cotton and synthetic scraps, stitching a patchwork skin over Christie's body, its voluminous skirt trimmed by lace and tulle from mourning veils. Next, they made her ankle-high moccasins by taping faux leather from a wannabe motorcycle jacket around her flip-flops. I know we're amateurs, but I'd look better wearing garbage bags on my feet, Christy said. They have charm, Moraine promised. What will we do about the shawl, she asked. The ghost was definitely wearing one. Voila! Thule draped the black Pendleton blanket around Christy's shoulders. All it needs is fringe. I'll start shredding socks. As the pièce de résistance, Thule fashioned three hair clips from the tail feathers. She thanked the turkey vultures. From rachis to barbed vein, their gifts held the plague-eater's blessing. Plus, those vultures had kicked her off the fence, straddling belief and denial. Cathartis species didn't live in the Mojave Desert. Thule absolutely knew their territory, because she googled where do turkey vultures live after Christy noticed one outside the white train. Indeed, those birds were scientific proof of the supernatural. They had to be sent by powers greater than nature. Spirits? Ghosts? Gods? All of the above? Are you ready? she asked, pinning the blue-black feather to Christy and the brown-black feather to Moraine. Shouldn't we practice? he asked. I've only heard this song in my head. What if I can't hit the high notes? No time. The virus ruins lives every hour. Plus, Christy's boots are falling apart, and we won't find another free motorcycle jacket. Do you want to scrap your leather pants, buddy? It's now or never. As the apparently siblings marched outside, turkey vulture groupies landed on the barrack rooftops. Neighbors peered out windows and gathered in dirt streets to marvel at the birds. Some people leaned against canes or shivered atop wheelchairs, their faces tilted skyward. They think we're carrion, a man said laughing at his own gallows joke. Nobody else would. Follow us, Moraine shouted, to the memorial courtyard. The vultures, two, three, four dozen, swooped from their perches and hop-waddled hobbled after the apparently siblings, their wings spread for balance. Draped from head to toe in black, Christy led the procession, supported by her two friends, with the setting sun at their backs, their shadows stretched ahead of them and parted the light that fell against the glittering white stones in the circular courtyard. A pillar, white marble, nine feet high, jutted from the belly of the courtyard. Its bronze plaque read, In Memoriam. Already several names had been etched into the base of the pillar, but there remained room for thousands on its blank faces one canvas that Thule hoped would remain empty. She crouched against the eastward-facing side and beheld the night encroaching. What's with the birds? Everybody go inside. Back to your rooms, please. Was that security speaking? 
a doctor or administrator? Though the voice was magnified by a bullhorn, Thule could not see its source beyond the wall of spectators and turkey vultures that surrounded her. On my count, she said, drumstick raised. Kai, Daki, Tali. What? Moraine asked. Sorry, that was Lipan. Um, what's the Dine word for three? Just use English, he said. Three, two, one. Moraine sang in clear, deep vocables. It had been ages since Thule heard his voice without a hint of guttural death growl. Stunned, she nearly missed her entrance. The first beat on her toy drum cracked like a whip. Rap! Even with a bullhorn, the security doctor administrator could not overwhelm Moraine. Rap, rap, rap! Tuli's drum spoke of healing and hunger. Rap! Christy spread her arms and began to spin as she orbited around the memorial pillar clockwise. By the second loop, she staggered more than she spun. Every successive loop was smaller, closer to the pillar, as if it drew her in. On the fifth, she fell and crawled. Almost done, Tuli shouted. Rap! The ground crumbled, and darkness enveloped their world. A darkness so absolute, even phosphines vanished. As if drawn together by organic magnetism, Tuli, Moraine, and Christy found each other and linked arms as they fell. Are we dead? Moraine hollered. I feel great, said Christy. So probably. Do you see that? Tuli asked. Below us. Two arms, lit by their own radiance, glow stick bright bones illuminating muscle, veins, and flesh with cool red light, sprouted from the abyss. Their skin was rough with pox scars, their nails curled like talons. The apparently siblings landed on one pillowy, massive palm. Children, a hoarse, tooth-rattling voice said. I enjoyed the performance. It came from everywhere, as if the void spoke. Thank you. Tuli rolled into a sitting position. She'd landed gracelessly. They all had. Are you its composer? Are you the one who gave us visions? I am. It's an honor. May I ask, um... Why? Tuli interrupted. There are lots of decent people on Earth, so why choose us instead? Because, the Void said, I am your biggest fan. Apparently, siblings, when you scream in dim places, I listen, and I relish what I hear. So they did serenade the right person. Tuli knew it would happen eventually, though she'd expected a human talent scout. Will you help? she asked. Help make us and everybody else healthy again? The temperature dove from chilly to Alaska winter cold. 
Even Christy, with her wool shawl and patchwork dress, shivered. From the world above, boomed everywhere below. I take the big plague, drink its coils, and sate my hunger. The virus is now just a troubled memory. Make no mistake. You'll all die eventually. <laughs> Mortals always perish. Maybe by illness, maybe by accident, maybe by something stranger. It's not my place to know. When the time comes, I hope you will find me and perform for all the dead, the never-born, and the monstrous who live in my deep country. Whoa, metal, what... What are you? Tuli asked, leaning against her friends for warmth. A spirit? A ghost? Christy asked. A god? Moraine asked. Or could you be part of a complex delusion? Maybe I'm asleep and all of this has been a nightmare. Just call me Plague Eater. The rest is mystery. The fingers curled around them. But I'm definitely not that last guess. I have to admit, Tuli said, that the white train is much nicer this time. I even saw Nurse John sipping a martini in the dining car. I asked if he wanted an autograph, and he said, no, you left one on the wall. What a funny guy. I may really love him. Christy snorted. Get his number, but don't invite him home. Our apartment must be rank. We left chili in the sink. Let's hire a maid after the tour finishes, said Moraine. Maybe even rent a bigger apartment? Tuli asked. It had taken a few weeks to check, double-check, and triple-check their blood samples. Not a hint of big plague remained. In fact, nobody carried the virus anymore regardless of the bodily fluid or tissue that was screened. Big Plague even vanished from test vials in laboratories and secure government facilities. Maybe that's why so many people believed that the apparently siblings apparently saved the world. YouTube videos of their performance helped, too. Turkey vultures bobbing their naked heads. The dance, song, and drum. A flurry of feathers... An empty courtyard. Cheers when the crowd spotted Tuli, Christie, and Moraine on the medical center rooftop. In every video, their bodies were perfect silhouettes against the red western sky. Fantasy Magazine Welcome back. You just heard Black the Regalia by Darcy Little Badger, as performed by Roxanne Coyne Hernandez. This story is copyright 2016 by Darcy Little Badger. It first appeared in Fantasy Magazine's People of Color Destroy Fantasy Special Issue and appears here by permission of the author. We hope you enjoyed it. Darcy Little Badger is a Lapan Apache scientist, writer, and friendly goth. 
After studying gene expression in toxin-producing phytoplankton, she received a PhD from Texas A&M University. Her short fiction has appeared in several publications, including Strange Horizons and Love Beyond Body, Space, and Time, an anthology of speculative fiction by indigenous writers. Darcy tweets as at Shining Comic. For her complete bibliography, visit darcylittlebadger.wordpress.com slash my-short-stories. That's Darcy, spelled with C-I-E. If you'd like to read more great fantasy stories, you'll find them every month in Lightspeed Magazine, along with equally great science fiction. If you're not already a subscriber, check our many options at lightspeedmagazine.com slash subscribe. Our podcast is produced by Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast. It produces the stories for this podcast. They're headed by the Audi and Grammy Award-winning narrators Stephen Rudnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. Check out their website at skyboatmedia.com. Music and sound logos are composed and performed by Jack Kincaid. Post-production is in association with Jim Freund. This podcast is copyright 2016 by Fantasy Magazine. Thanks for listening. That's all for now. I'm Terrence Taylor, wishing you cheers and goodbye from everyone destroying fantasy. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.